You're listening to the Tri-State Community Church Podcast, a ministry of the Associate Reformed Presbyterian Church located in the greater Pittsburgh metropolitan area. For more information, including service times, please visit us at facebook.com forward slash Tri-State Reformed Church. I invite you to return to Luke 24. We're going to begin reading at verse 1 and read through verse 12 this morning. But on the first day of the week at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel, and as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He's not here. But has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. And they remembered his words and returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James and the other uh, women with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we look to you this morning, Father, that you may bless us, that you may open up our hearts to the wonder of this passage, that, Father, you would enable our hearts to see the risen Savior this morning and to see him afresh. Oh, Lord, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. This text is probably very familiar to a lot of you, maybe not as familiar to some. Uh, For those of us, this text might be so familiar that, in a sense, Um, we could read this text kind of quickly because we've read it so many times and and just move on. Um, I want to begin this morning really by looking at this text just afresh, um, explaining it briefly. And uh, I have to ask, Donna, can you hear me okay back there? You like that? We got a new new mixing board, I'll have you to know, and it's so... It's, it's really loud, isn't it? <laughs> I apologize to everybody for that intrusion, but I just had to ask. I had, had to fun with Don a little bit. But what I want to do this morning is, is explain the text pretty briefly, and then from there take a look at a, a couple of observations that I think will be helpful to us all. The text really begins, if you look at the first verse, what do we have happening in the first verse? What we have happening is really an admirable act of devotion on behalf of these women, don't we? I mean, it really is. I mean, the more this week, especially having looked at, these, looked, looked at this text afresh this week and meditating on it, I'm just struck over and over again by the devotion, the amount of devotion that issues from nothing but love for Jesus that we have here. And a lot of times we focus on the suffering that Jesus endured, and it's proper and right for us to do that. Uh, Let's not stop doing that. 
But sometimes we don't, maybe, maybe we forget about the suffering that these women endured. And because as you read the, the gospel accounts and the gospel testimonies in all four gospels, you see the women are always around. They're always there. And, and sometimes in some respects, you've got to have to look for them to see them because it'll just be a little tidbit, you know. And the women were opposite the tomb, says Matthew. Uh, or the women were, from a, were there, uh, in, in some cases, afar. But when Jesus was being crucified, where were the women when Jesus was being crucified? They were right there. Now, can you imagine what that would have been like to see? It's one thing to read about it. If we lived in a distant land and we got the newspaper that day and we read about it in the newspaper, that would be something. But could you imagine standing near the cross and watching the agony of he whom you've really devoted your life to for the last three years? And the dashed hopes and the trauma, the grief, the, 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 the bereavement... What are we going to do now? We were so secure when Jesus was around because we could go to Jesus anytime we wanted to. We could go to him with anything. He was right there. Now he's gone. And what about all the things that he said? What are we to make out of all of this? Luke, he points in this first verse, we think on the first day of the week at early dawn, we could, we could read past that very quickly, but there's a lot being said there. What's being said there is it's Sunday morning. What also is being said there is that this is the very first opportunity that these women have to come to Jesus. They're already prepared. But it was the previous day was the Sabbath day. And it would have been improper for them to visit a tomb on the Sabbath day. Or they would have been there yesterday. The point that I'm making is this is an incredible act of devotion. It comes at a, 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 a personal cost. These spices would have been expensive. And it's the first order of business. As soon as they are able, as soon as they have opportunity, where are they? They're to the tomb. And I also might add that this comes at a, there's a bit of danger involved here. Let's not forget that. We know from the other gospel writers that guards had been placed near the tomb. This is a real, you want to talk about, we talk about today hot button issues, those hot button issues that you don't want to touch. This is a hot button situation right here. When Jesus is arrested in the garden, what did the disciples do? They flee. What would we have done? We would have fled. Why? Because this is serious stuff. Everybody knew that these religious leaders were trying to kill Jesus, just looking for an opportunity. And now it has already happened. But nevertheless, these women, at great personal cost and at danger and risk to their lives, first order of business, they come to the tomb. And what we see here first and foremost is just a great act of devotion uh, towards the Lord. But then it's interrupted in verse 2. They find the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. This devotion is interrupted with a surprise. 
It's a surprise that leads them perplexed. We're told in verse 4 that they were perplexed about this. And, you know, it's, it's, it's funny. I mean, if you just look at the phrase back in verse 3, or the line, the, the, the verse itself, they went in and they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. Doesn't that sound earthly? I never thought about that until, like, yesterday morning. It's like, it's so earthly. They did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. They're looking for a body. They're looking for a dead body. They do not find one. And while they're there in verse 4, perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. Who are these men? They are angels. They're angels. In verse 5, we see the women are frightened and they bow their faces to the ground. And as they're, they're trembling and their faces are to the ground, the men say to them, why do you seek the living among the dead? Now, this verse can be translated a different way. Uh, this phrase, why do you seek the living among the dead, could be translated, why do you seek the living one among the dead? That's grammatically possible. And in fact, the New American Standard Version translates it that way. Why do you seek the living one among the dead? I think the surprise and the fear are now giving way to shock. To shock. The men continue. Remember, or backing up to verse 6 at the beginning, they say he's not here but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men, be crucified, and on the third day, rise. And in verse 8, we're told that they remembered the words. They remembered the words. And what do you suppose has taken place in their heart as they remembered these words? What do you suppose happened to the fear? What do you suppose happened to the grief? What do you suppose happened to the bereavement, the trauma, the shock? Oh, there's probably a new shock. And there might even be a sense where there's a new trauma, if you will. But it's the trauma of joy. He is risen. And here they are with burial spices. <laughs> Expensive burial spices. What do you suppose they did with those? Well, they run off to the apostles and they tell the apostles. And how did the apostles receive? Do they jump up for joy? No, you know the story, don't you? I think these women lost their minds. They're telling stories. They're just so, listen, they're just, you know, they're emotional. They're just being emotional and they're just seeing what they want to see. That's how this news was received initially by the apostles, some of whom would write the New Testament. Peter, of course, Peter always has to be the one, doesn't he? 
Peter runs to the tomb to check it out. And we're told that when he looks in, he saw the linen cloths by themselves. And we're told at the end of verse 12 that he went home marveling at what had happened. Now, what do we make of this? Well, there's lots of things that could be made of this. And um, it, there's lots of things that could be said. I have, I have really one point this morning. And under that point, there will really be kind of three sub-points, if you will. It's real simple. And my point is this. It's possible to be devoted and even to love Jesus while being in great error about who he is, why he came, and what he accomplished. You follow me on that? It's possible, and in fact, it's even quite common to have a level of devotion. It could be a small level of devotion. It could be a very large level of devotion. It could be a small level of love. It could be a, very, a lot of love for Jesus and yet be completely in the dark about who He is, why He came, and what He accomplished. And someone might say, well, why would you say that? Well, where are the women at when they go to the tomb? What are they bringing? They're bringing burial spices. What are their intentions? To give their loved one a proper burial. Who is he to them at that point? He's gone. He's gone. Why did he come? I have no idea. We thought he was going to redeem Israel. That's what, you know, the next story that comes after this one. Three things important in studying Scripture. What are they? Context, context, and what else? Context. And this whole chapter is about the same thing from three different angles, actually. It's the same. We could, if, if you want, we could preach all three of them. I'm going to say the same thing three times. Because it's, it's the same thing, whether it's the women at the tomb, or it's the disciples on their way to Emmaus, or it's the apostles later. It's the same story. It's the same thing. Isn't it? Why do you suppose we got three of the same thing back to back right away? Could it be like something like this? I mean, could it be like uh, something like this? You know what I mean? You ever feel like that? What is it is possible to be devoted and even love Jesus to a great measure and be confused about who he is? why He has come, and what He has accomplished. Why would I say that? Because that's what we have going on here. Three times in a row. So, our subheadings, who is He? Who is Jesus? Well, there's so many things. I remember when I was just doing my undergraduate work at Geneva College, I remember a New Testament course that I had, and there was a 30-point question on this test. You, don't, you, go, you know, all of us have been to school, don't botch up 30-point questions if you want to pass. And here was the question. Who is Jesus? For 30 points. Who is Jesus? <laughs> you ever tried to answer that question? Who is Jesus? That's going to be very limited, my answer here. First thing I want to say is Jesus is greater than what these women had thought. And he's greater 
than anything you and I can think too. We're never in this lifetime going to see the magnificence of Jesus, not in its fullness. That awaits the next. That awaits, that, that awaits the door. That awaits at glorification. He is greater than what we can imagine. But let's, let's, just, let's just think this through for a minute. If we would ask these women who Jesus was, tell us about your friend. Where are you headed? We're headed to the tomb. The tomb, who are you headed? Oh, Jesus of Nazareth. Tell me about Jesus. Oh, Jesus, we saw him do amazing things. We saw him do wonderful things. In fact, you notice in verse 10, notice that one of the women is named Mary Magdalene. You notice that? I think Luke wants us to see something. Keep your place in, in Luke 24 for a moment and turn back with me to Luke 8. I think it's something that Luke wants. I know it's something that Luke wants us to see, that the Holy Spirit working through Luke would want us to see. Luke chapter 8, verse 1. Soon afterward, Jesus went on through cities and villages, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. And the twelve were with him, and also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary called Magdalene, from whom what? Seven demons came from. Do you suppose she could tell you something about Jesus? I don't know what it's like to have one demon, alone seven. And I'm not even sure what to make. Seven demons. She had been delivered from seven demons. She more than saw Jesus do amazing things. She was the recipient of an amazing thing that Jesus did. And that's not to mention the healing, the healing of lepers. He touched lepers. Nobody touches lepers. Jesus touched lepers and, and healed lepers. Oh, yeah, let us tell you about Jesus. He, the, the, the apostles will tell you he calmed the sea. They were drowning. He was sleeping. They woke him up and he calmed the sea. And most recently, he raised Lazarus from the tomb. He had been in the tomb for four days, and Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. He was, he was mighty. He was mighty. That's what they would have said, but what would they say afterwards? What would we say? What would the, what would the uh, New Testament believers say? Well, Jesus is Lord over the demonic realm, which holds sway over this entire world. Let's think that through. The Apostle Paul tells us, why do people don't, why, why, why all the unbelief at the end of the day? Why all the unbelief? Well, we're each culpable for unbelief for sure. That's for sure. But the Apostle Paul gives us some insight as to what's going on. What's going on is the God, lowercase g, of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers so that they can't see. And if you can see this morning, it's only because Jesus is greater than the demonic realm and He has come into your life and He has given you eyes that can see. That's the only reason you can see if you can see. The only reason you can see me right now is because God has given you sight. All sight comes from Him. But if you can see Jesus... If you really truly can see Jesus this morning with the eyes of your heart, it's because He has given you that sight too. And Jesus is greater than the demonic realm that is holding this whole world in unbelief. 
And he proves it every time he calls a soul to himself. He says, look there. I can take any person from the realm of darkness anytime I want. It's greater than darkness. It's greater than all the darkness. He's also victor over death. The resurrection proves that, doesn't it? Somebody sent me a note to that effect this morning. I won't mention any names, but it was a great, wonderful note. I didn't get time to respond to it, but I did get it. Thank you. He's victor over death. We face death every day, don't we? I mean, we have a way of taking death and putting it back on the back burner and putting it down on low so it doesn't simmer much. But every day we face death, don't we? Now, we think that today's not going to be the day. Today won't be the day. Why do we think that? Because all of us probably have some plans. If I thought today was going to be the day, I wouldn't be busy making plans. I just bought this book. I showed it to Maggie the other day. It's about this thick. I'm really excited about it. I started working through it. It's a, it's a new systematic theology. And I just started working through it. It's, oh, it's 1,200 pages. It's just volume one. There are three more volumes promised. If I thought I was going to die today, I wouldn't have spent the money on that book. I would rather Tammy have access to that money. Because I'm not going to read a book. It's 1,200 pages. I'm not going to read it today. In fact, it's going to take me a long time to get through 1,200 pages. Because I plan on reading it very slowly. But you see those simple plans. Every one of us has plans. We don't know that we're going to be able to fulfill those plans. But every day, every day, we, we face death. I once counseled a young woman who became so anxious about her own death that she got to the point where she wouldn't leave her house. The first couple of meetings that I had with her, I had to take another woman with me and meet her in her apartment. And through the gospel, through showing her that Jesus is victor over death, she came out of that house and began to meet me right back there in that room and later became a believer. Jesus is victor over death. We face death every day, but death could not hold Jesus. So we could say he's Lord over the demonic realm. We could say he's victor over death, but we also need to say that he's almighty God. He's the source of our lives, isn't he? It's through him that all things were made, and that includes us. And every time we take a breath, we owe God for one more breath, don't we? Every day that goes by, we're into his debt further. And in eternity, every day is going to be another day of grace. We don't deserve to be there. We don't deserve to be there. We don't deserve to be here. We're in his debt greater and greater each and every day. Who is Jesus? He is almighty God. Who is he? You see, you can be really confused. You can have a lot of devotion. The devotion of these women is commendable and admirable, but they really don't know who he is. And there's many people in the church today that come and have a certain level of devotion. It might be big, it might be small, but there's devotion. They really don't know who Jesus is because the Easter event has not really happened in their heart. Who he really is, why he came. He answers why he came. If you look at 
Verse 6, the angels tell the women, remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee. Verse 7, that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified. Why did Jesus come? To be delivered over to sinful men and be crucified. Why would he want to do that? Because our lives are a wretched mess, aren't they? How could any one of us possibly stand in God's tribunal? As we think about facing death every day, it's always in the back of our minds somewhere, buried back there. We might not even be conscious of it. But there's going to be a day where we're going to, we're going to see how magnificent Jesus is because every single one of us, whether we believe or we don't believe, are going to be in his tribunal staring at him giving an account of our lives. And it's something we cannot do. We can't. Not a one of us can do that. God knowing this, knowing this, knowing that this is our greatest need, he came in the person of Jesus Christ and lived a perfect life. In Christ Jesus, walked in accordance with his laws, Perfectly in thought, word, and deed for over 30 years. So why? So he could take that life and offer that life at the altars of his justice on the cross and say, here, this life for theirs, my life for them. So that God could take our sins away. It would be impossible for God to take our sins away had that event not occurred or taken place because God is just. What would he do with all of these infractions on his justice? He has to punish them. He punishes them on Jesus. That's why this, the Son of Man must be delivered into, sinful, into the hands of sinful men and he must be crucified. There's another reason. He lives that perfect life so he can give that life away. You see, we need that life. There's only one way you're going to get to heaven, and that's to be perfect. None of us can be perfect. But there is a way God can make you perfect. It's by taking your record away and giving you the record of another. It's by taking your record away and giving you Jesus' record. That you can be actually legally perfect before God. And the resurrection proves that God accepts that. He proves that God accepts that. But Jesus also came for another reason. And it's right here. It's right here in our text. The Son of Man must be delivered in the hands of sinful men. He must be crucified. On the third day, he must rise. It's not that he ought to rise. I think it'd be a good idea if he rose. It'd be really nice if he rose. It says he must rise. Why? Because he's the living one. He's the living one. It's ridiculous to look for the living one in a tomb. Isn't it? Why are you here looking for the living one? He's risen. He's not here. Don't you remember what he told you when you were in Galilee? That the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men, must be crucified, must rise again on the third day? 
He must rise. Is it possible to serve a Savior who is dead? Yep. Yep. That's what the women are doing, isn't it? I'm not picking on them. Don't think I'm picking on them. Actually, I wanted to begin this message on a high note for these women. Actually, I think their devotion is just remarkable. I think the risk they take to their lives, I think this is remarkable. I have the same problem they have. I admire them. And I really admire the way the Lord comes alongside of them and helps them in their weakness. I admire that a lot because I have weakness too. He must rise. Is it possible to serve a Savior who is dead? Many are doing just that. We mentally assent to some facts about the gospel. We would mentally assent if someone pulled us over and asked us, do you believe that Jesus rose from the dead on the third day? We would say yes. Has that made any difference in our life? No. And if that is you, you are in a sense committing a close cousin to what the women are committing here at the tomb. They have to do everything for Jesus. He, they want to give him a, a good burial, but he's not going to be able to do that himself because he's in the tomb. We know from the other gospel accounts that on the way there, they were discussing who's going to roll the stone away. Who's going to roll his stone away? How are we going to get that rock out of the way? I don't know, but let's just go there. We'll figure something out. Is it possible to serve a Savior who is dead? Yes. Yes. If we mentally assent to certain truths about the gospel, yet these truths have not changed our lives in any way, then we haven't met Jesus yet. We're still like the women. We haven't met the risen Savior Yet, Because once you meet the ribs and Savior, everything changes, doesn't it? That's what I refer to as the Easter event. Has the Easter event happened in your heart? What was the Easter event? Well, it's when the, when the angels explained everything to the women. Say, he's risen, go tell everybody. And suddenly their eyes are opened and they're, they're filled with joy, and what do they do? They run and tell everybody. They run and tell a bunch of people who have yet to have the Easter event happen to them. Does that make sense? I hope so. It's possible to be devoted to and to love a Savior who is not a living presence in your life. I'd say it's more than possible. It's very common. Thirdly, what did Jesus accomplish? Answer, atonement. Jesus offered himself as a payment for sin, and his resurrection proves that that atonement was successful. And what does that mean for us? It means that if your faith is in Christ, your sins are forgiven. They're forgiven. Now, unless Jesus has worked on your heart, that's not even a big deal. You don't think, well, I've got sins that are that bad. Oh, yeah, you do. And so do I. But once Jesus begins to work on our hearts, we begin to understand, wow, you know, the, the, the first experience of really studying the Bible was not a pleasant experience for me. I've told many of you over and over again several times. It was a horrible experience for me because I thought I was, listen, I thought I was okay. You go through those Ten Commandments, I thought, hey, i got two of them that aren't too bad. And you read the Sermon on the Mount and you discover you don't even have two of them. I don't even have two of them. 
I remember telling Tammy, I am absolutely toast. You remember me saying that to you? She looked at me confused. I am like toast. I needed a savior. I went through a nine-month period where I believed Jesus was able to save me, but I couldn't for the likes of me think why he would want to. Why would Jesus want to save me? I think he can if he wants to. Why would he want to? I was walking in unbelief. What else could Jesus do to prove to me that he wants to save me? He went to the cross and hung there naked in front of everybody while they mocked him and endured the agony of God's wrath upon him. The physical part wasn't the worst part for Jesus. It was the wrath of God against him for the sins and the crimes that we have done. Once that happened, the Easter event took place in my heart. Oh, really? Me too? You came to save me? Yeah. That was when my life was changed. Oh, my goodness. Really, me? I mean, the lady down the street who's so nice to everybody and it's like, I don't think she's ever done anything bad. I understand why you want to save her. I've done a lot of bad stuff. Yeah, you. Is it possible to have a certain level of devotion to Jesus and have even a certain amount of love to Jesus and not believe your sins are forgiven? Yeah, boy. Oh, yeah. Many people get hung up on that because we say to ourselves, I'm too bad for Jesus. The things that I've done are too bad. I'm too bad for Jesus. No, you're not. He's way bigger than you've ever imagined. You see how we have a tendency to make him so much smaller than he is? Do you think the Holy One of Israel dying on a tree and that humility is ineffectual to save you from your sins? It's effectual to save the world of their sins. That's what we say in theology. There isn't a sin, there isn't a sin that can't be taken away by the blood of Christ. Isn't that wonderful news? Prove it, Rick, prove it. Resurrection. Where's the body? Oh, the skeptic says, you know, the, the, the apostles come and hid the body. They took him, hid him somewhere where no one could find him, and then they concocted this whole thing. Really? Where does their boldness come from? We've been studying Acts in chapter, Acts chapter 4 here on Wednesday nights. And here we see Peter. What did Peter do on the night that Jesus was arrested? He denied Jesus three times. What does Peter do in Solomon's portico? He preaches the gospel. It, the, the religious establishment takes notice of Peter preaching the gospel, and they arrest Peter. And then when Peter is given an account for what he's did, he speaks boldly. They notice his boldness. Is he going to do this for a lie? That takes a lot of faith to believe that, doesn't it? No, that's nonsense. Well, the other skeptic says, well, you know, the, 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 the uh, religious leaders, you know, they came and snatched the body. They took the body away. That's, that's even worse. Because all they had to do to put this thing out was produce Jesus' body. Here's Jesus' body. You guys, sorry to break it to you, but... This Savior that you say is alive and making all these appearances, he's right here. They couldn't produce a body because there is no body. No dead body. 
There's a living body. And he was appearing before more than 500 people. And there's these witness testimonies all over the place. That proves, that is the proof that your sins are taken away if your faith and trust is in Jesus. What do we do? What do we do with our past? Many are still living in the past, still wallowing in their sin. They don't believe Jesus has taken it away. Some are just mentally assenting to the truth, and Jesus is not really a living presence in their lives. Others don't really understand who He is very much. What do we do? Well, what, what's going on in our text? Our text answers this question. There's something really beautiful that I want to close with that takes place here. This is one of the most beautiful things in this text. Aside from the fact that Jesus is risen, I think the second most beautiful thing in this text is those angels appearing to these women. Why do I say that? Because here they are, all broken, all busted up, and they're in need of ministry. And here we see the heart of our risen Lord he sends two angels to come and minister to them, to preach the gospel to them, so that they will experience that Easter event, so that their eyes will be open, so that they will see the risen Christ and be made anew. And listen, loved ones, this is God's modus operandi. This is what God has been doing ever since. In fact, it's what He has always done. He meets His children. He meets us right in our weakness. We may be sitting here this morning in darkness. We may be sitting here thinking, none of this is making sense to me. Do what the women did. Get your Bible out. Read the Gospel. Read it. Why do I say that? What is the instrument in the hands of the angels? What is the instrument they use that God uses to open their lives up? What do they say? Remember what he told you. What is that? That's the word of God. Faith comes from hearing the word of Christ. If you're sitting here this morning and you're in darkness, you say, you know what? I, I, I am just mentally assenting. I am just, you know what? I am. Jesus, I see, I see the living presence of Jesus and other people, and I just, I'm just going to make a confession. I just don't see it in my own life. Get the Bible. Get the Gospels out. Read those Gospels. And sit there. Do what the women do. Take that admiration. You have some level of devotion or you wouldn't be sitting here this morning. Take that level of devotion. Take it to the Word of God and take it on your knees and prayerfully read it. And don't let Him go until He opens up His Word to you. He will meet you and your weakness, and He will open your eyes. Amen? Here's a lyric from a song. Donald, you're fine. You can come forward. I just want to close with this, this lyric. It's from an old hymn called Thine is the Glory. Just listen to these lyrics. Lo, Jesus meets us. You hear that? Lo, Jesus meets us, risen from the tomb. And especially, especially if you're finding yourself in darkness this morning, listen to this third line. 
lovingly he greets us, scatters fear and gloom. Let his church with gladness hymns of triumph sing, for the Lord now living, death lost its sting. Thine is the glory, risen conquering sun, endless the victory, thou your death hast won. Thine is the glory. Heavenly Father, we give you all the glory. Our hearts are warm this morning, Father, as we listen to the wonderful news of the gospel that Christ is risen, he is risen indeed. Oh, Father, we do pray that this morning and this day that we would see you in your glory and your splendor afresh this morning, that we would see you in a new light. We pray, O oh Father, for everyone. Father, if some are just mentally assenting to the truth, we lift them up to you, Father. And we pray that the bright rays of your majesty and the glory of the risen Savior would produce the joy of salvation in their hearts this morning. Father, if we're here in agony, agonizing over our past and agony over the sins we have done that we can't get over, Oh, Father, apply the atonement of Christ to these hearts afresh this morning, we pray. Oh, Father, we recognize that it's possible for us to, to have a certain amount of love and devotion toward you, yet being so in the dark of who you are, show us each of us, oh, Father, who you are afresh this morning, why you came, and what you've accomplished. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen.